You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Chapter 3 and verse 16, we read one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the subject that we have tonight really is a challenge to those words and to really much of what is said in the Bible. Would a loving God allow suffering? The Bible suggests that God is and that he is loving and that there is purpose in suffering. Now, tonight, we want to consider this question by asking five more questions. And we'll step through these questions in hopes that this will help strengthen our understanding of this particular subject. The first thing we want to ask ourselves is, why would this question be asked? Who asked this question? Where is it coming from? And again, as I go through each of these uh, tonight, I'm hoping for your participation. Um, I welcome your comments and questions and uh, your answers as we progress through. The value of that is I can see where you're at, and I might learn some things along the way as well from your perspective. So think about that one. Why or who would be asking this question? Number two. What are the bad things that come from suffering? I think here we want to show that there's a bit of a fork in the road. There's a possibility that there are some very negative outcomes from suffering. Number three, we want to then take a little step back and say, well, who's actually responsible for the various suffering that we are aware of in the world around us? And certainly we acknowledge There's a tremendous amount of suffering, and we're not going to go through lists and details of that before you tonight. We know it exists. The question is here, who is responsible? And number four, we're going to ask, what is God's purpose with people? It might not seem evident why we're asking that question, but the answer to this question really gives us great context for understanding and coming to grips with the suffering that we see in the world. And lastly, we're going to ask, what good things can come from suffering? Okay, so those are our questions, and uh, we're going to step through them together tonight. And we're going to start right off the bat with this first question. Why would this question be asked? I'm going to put that to you. Any suggestions? What would be the reason to even ask this question in the first place? Can somebody volunteer an example? And just call it out. If you're going to give a long answer, maybe the steward could give us the microphone because I'll repeat anything that's said here. Hopefully it's short, but if it's going to be long, maybe, I don't know, do a double signal up there that you need the, the microphone. So what would be one of the reasons why someone um, would ask this question. They don't think it's fair. Okay. 
They question the fairness of it. And what does that lead them to conclude? That God is right. Okay, so that I think is one of the reasons why you, you look at this is uh, you think, how do I reconcile the character of God who's all powerful and able to do everything and anything and yet all of this suffering is taking place? Another example? What could be another reason for asking this question? Right, and would that lead them to any other conclusion? So again, uh, to say what I said I was going to do, repeat, the issue is, uh, that's been pointed out is that, for example, 9-11, with all the suffering that came out of that, uh, and there's been other examples, certainly in world history, uh, where people question it, what does that ultimately lead them to? We've got one example here. It leads people to question God's character. Does it lead them to think something even more fundamental than that? and to question something even more basic than God's character. Exactly. So it even gets at the existence of God. So some people grapple with this subject. They see all the suffering out there, and they say, if there was a God, this wouldn't be happening. And so they struggle with even the existence of God, Others, well, I believe there's a God, there could very well be a God, but boy, the character that's coming through as a, a loving God, especially in what they read as the New Testament, compared to maybe the Old Testament, they might see as more of an angry, vengeful God, and they, they struggle because they really can't see this loving, merciful, compassionate um, God in the Bible. There's one other reason, um, and I'll just give this one to you. I think there's people who can get by both those steps. They can say, well, God does exist, and he is loving. <laughs> but I still ask this question, would a loving God allow suffering? Because we can grapple with the subject ourselves in our own personal lives. Because it's one thing to look at it theoretically, it's another thing with a very emotionally charged subject, especially when it's affecting us, to say, well, you know, why is this happening to me? Or why is it happening to the degree or the frequency to me? And we, we start to struggle with the actual purposes of this and question, you know, other aspects of it. In fact, some people have been led to the conclusion, well, yeah, I, I believe in God, I believe he's a loving God, but because things are so bad, I just believe that everybody must not really die. They must all continue to exist in some much more wonderful place thereafter. And that's not really based on sound um, understanding from the Bible. So these are the kinds of things that we're dealing with here. And you can see from that, this is extremely important. And it relates to the existence of God. It relates to his character and it relates to how he is working in our lives, and we've got to be careful not just to jump to certain conclusions um, on the basis of uh, our frame of mind and our reasoning on this particular subject. 
We've got to give um, this a chance as we look at the scriptures and try to work this through to really understand this because once again a lot of people throw up blinders immediately and they don't want to believe in God they don't want to believe in him as a, a loving God because of suffering that they see so hopefully everyone here will give this a chance and again it's just a start tonight but it's something that we want to look at and hopefully make some uh, headway with So our next uh, subject is, what are the bad things that come from suffering? As we said, it's a little bit of a fork in the road. It can go a couple of different ways, Um, but give me some examples of what you might have seen that are bad things that come from suffering. Any examples that come to mind? There's a, a, a big one um, right off the bat. Uh, probably the kind of the most important one is that, you know, you can be going along believing in God, believing in his character, and then you've got suffering, and actually it can turn people uh, against God, and that is like the major fork direction, right? Um, any other things that you, you've seen or have felt or have witnessed that are kind of bad things that come out of suffering? That's probably, I think, summatively, probably the worst, right? Other things that come out of suffering? Pardon me? Yep, blaming God. So that could be a step along the way to turning on him is now you start to attribute things to him. And and that's going to come up a little bit more when we talk about who's responsible, uh, for it. We can examine that a little bit more. Anything else? Like when you become angry and you stop reading your Bible. Yep. Another thing along that path that can be a certain emotions that come out of it, such as, as anger, and you stop doing good things that could really actually help you through it. Well, here's, here's a list I've got. Here's some of the words that came up for me on this. Miserable. <laughs> You know, uh, all of us have um, had some suffering, and we feel, quite frankly, miserable about it. Um, I would think all of us have at least experienced that. We can feel sad. We can be depressed. We can be bitter. We can be selfish. All of those things can come out of the experience of suffering. Now, Job is one of those uh, amazing examples in the Bible of suffering. And I'm going to read you a few words um, related to um, Job. And I'm using either the King James Version or the NASB as I give you these uh, quotations tonight. In Job 30, verse 15, and and we will look up some passages later for sure. Some of these... uh, I'll go through rather quickly, so you might not need to do that, but just think about what's being said at least. Job 30, verse 15. Job says, Sudden terrors are turned upon me. And Job certainly experienced a lot of stuff fast. He lost everything pretty much on every basis and foundation, um, even ultimately to his own personal health. He says, they chase away my dignity like the wind, and my prosperity has passed away like a cloud. 
And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of misery have seized me. At night it pierces my bones within me, and my gnawing pains do not rest. Very graphic explanation of the miserableness of the suffering that he experienced affecting him day and night, plaguing his mind, everything just happening so quickly. Depressed? Well, Job 3 verse 11 says, Why did I not die at birth? Come out of the womb and pass away. You know, people get so depressed, you know, they question the existence of life itself. And bitterness. I am disgusted with mine own life, he says. I will express my complaint freely. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Job 10 verse 1. And finally, as it was expressed right from the beginning, you can turn on God. Now, Job didn't do that. And isn't that interesting? That sometimes the person actually suffering doesn't turn on God, but it's somebody else. (laughs) This is what his wife said to him. Do you still hold firm your integrity? Curse God and die. And so she turned on God and her advice was such to her husband, the one who was really experiencing this himself and to the core. Not that she wouldn't have been impacted by it. The last one that we noted here is uh, selfishness. This is another negative outcome of suffering along that path that we're not so happy about, and that is that when you suffer, you can become kind of, uh, well, woe is me. You stop helping others. It becomes all about yourself. And you can see it in the way people talk and the way they act. Um, we're very easily selfish people. I remember yesterday at a particular event here, talking to somebody and catching myself quite a way through the conversation, realizing all I was talking about was me. <laughs> and, um, oh, yeah, and, w- and what about you? You know, it's just in our natures, and there's that sense of woe is me. And and really, suffering can bring us greater selfishness. If we don't watch it, if we're not really convinced of some different ways of looking at this subject. Okay, any other comments on that particular aspect of what comes out of suffering in a bad sort of way? Or do you think that rounds it off pretty good? Okay, let's go on to our third subject. Who is responsible for suffering? Now, I think immediately there's kind of this assumption when we deal with this subject that God is responsible. And what I would suggest to you is that there's a lot of things that we suffer in life that God is not responsible for. There's a lot of suffering that is self-inflicted. There's a way, we're told, which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, verse 12. So can you give me any examples of this? What, what would be examples of suffering where maybe we shouldn't be pointing the finger at God. Maybe we should see it in ourselves or in people. Let's just list off a few examples. There's lots of them. What comes to your mind? 
drug addiction, the impact of substance abuse, what we put in our body, drugs, alcohol, other substances, and, and people can destroy themselves just from those substances. Anything else? Think of all the suffering in the world that we see. What do we see that we would not necessarily attribute it to God? War. <laughs> you know, political motivation, power. Um, really, are you going to blame God for all of that, or is this not from the lusts of men? Another example? Okay, so another example is uh, bad judgment. We make a lot of judgment things, and it's easy maybe to kind of try to blame somebody else or God, but a lot of times it's just our own decision-making that leads to certain consequences, and we suffer from those. Um, you know, I, I can say if I look at my life in, in the whole, I would say most of my suffering is because of just that. You know, I really I can't blame God for the suffering that I have um, experienced in my life. So the warning here is be careful before we attribute it to God in the first place. And we can go on with many, many other examples, but let's move on with a simple answer to our topic tonight, which really is that the Bible says that, yes, a loving God can bring and allow suffering. A lot of it out there is from people, ourselves, but it is true to say that God can bring about suffering and at the very least he allows suffering. So we can answer the question of our topic um, affirmatively. And one of the passages that's sometimes a bit shocking to us when we consider it is in Isaiah 45 verse 7. It says, I form the light, God says, I create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. God says that he creates evil. A lot of people can't get their minds around this. So we're going to have to harmonize this in our understanding of God. But certainly we know that in some cases he brings about suffering he certainly allows suffering in this earth. So this really gets us back to square one to probably our most important question. We're doing pretty well here on number four. Number four, what is God's purpose with people? And I think this is where it changes. This is where we can start to get some perspective here. It's incredibly important to read the Bible and get an understanding of what God's purpose is and it impacts our understanding of this subject. Now let's just start with an example that we might all be well familiar with and that is the example of a child and a parent. A parent disciplines a child. Sometimes they spank the child or they take a privilege away from that child. In a way they are inflicting some suffering, some discomfort to that child. It happens all the time. If you want to raise a child that's balanced and that's 
learns and has some character, they need to be disciplined. And so we can see immediately, even in this example that we're all familiar with, with a parent and a child, that there is a, a sense in which we understand that a certain amount of suffering or discomfort, some consequences of behavior, is actually a good thing. And when we do it, there's three things I think we want to accomplish. We want to put the child into a frame of mind to think. We'd really like them to probably learn something specifically. And we're hoping in the long term that they'll develop character. And those are the three things that I think God is trying to do with us on the grander scheme of things. Much grander when you consider what God is about with his plan and purpose with this earth. But we're practicing it in a little way as we raise our children. You might see it with teachers and students as well. So really this shouldn't be a big surprise to us that there's probably something more meaningful going on with the suffering that we see in the world. And this might help us give a little opening here to consider it. And I think it comes down to understanding God's purpose. And people can word it different ways. Here's how I word it. Here's the kind of like the most important sentences, I think, in terms of what I could convey to you. And I believe that God created the earth to be inhabited. We'll, we'll prove that with a verse momentarily. By creating independent beings. That is, beings that have free will. And what he's trying to do is really extend himself. He is that most amazing thing that exists. And what is that which could actually interest him? But to actually extend him, to make more of what he is in the universe, in the world. And so he does that through people who are people of understanding and ultimately people who exhibit his character and qualities. That is huge to understand and to buy into in the Bible. That is what it's all about. God has chosen to inhabit this world with people who are people that independently choose and thereby exhibit his qualities and characters. And of course, there's risk with free will. If you give beings the opportunity to make choices, then they might not make the right choices. But it's the only way to achieve what he wants to achieve in these other beings. Otherwise, they would be just robotic in nature. So this free will is extremely important. Now look, we could give a whole host of passages to prove this. I'm just going to give you one passage tonight to start it off. And again, it's Isaiah 45:18, the same chapter that we were just quoting from. There it says, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain, that is, without purpose, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. And you can go on by looking at the scriptures, the Bible passages, old and new, and finding that God wants to have people who are like him, that express in the way that they live, think and reason, his character. 
That was a really wonderful and amazing purpose. And this is really the key to our subject and shedding a whole lot of light on our understanding of it. What we have to remember here is that God's character is a wonderful thing. There's all sorts of Bible passages on that as well. I'm going to give you one of the most succinct. Psalm 116, verse 5. This is what it says there. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. So there you have it. He's righteous. You've got to remember that God is always right. And even in everything that we see around us in the world, there's a lot of things that aren't right, but you can't blame God for those things. Whatever is happening ultimately is something that needs to fall in the context of understanding that God is right. And he's also gracious. He's compassionate and merciful and kind. That's his character. And that's what he wants us to be like. He wants us to choose that and to exhibit those things. But we have free will. And we make choices. And Ecclesiastes 7.29, to again put it succinctly, uh, expresses the problem. It says, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. So God made man very good. He set us all up from the beginning to be successful. But we've gone our own way. And we've gone against God. And God needs to get us back on track. And how is he going to do that? Well, you can use the reward approach. He's offered us eternal life. In Jesus Christ, his son. We read about that in John 3.16. Can't offer anything more amazing than that. Eternal life. And a quality of life that is without any of the limitations that we experience in this life. All of the suffering. All those things that relate to our mortality. But at the same time, he utilizes consequences to our sin. We have sinned, and therefore we die. We're subject to disease. We are subject to this tendency now that we've opened up this world of evil to do more evil. And so we got a war against this. we got to recognize that this whole environment, though, has been set in order in hopes that something good would come out of it. Now, I don't know, if you're still in Romans, uh, we will be reading this passage uh, later again here. Um, look at Romans 8, verse 20. Here it kind of puts it succinctly with respect to this. He says, for the creature, or the creation was made subject to vanity. And we're talking about subject to this process of death and corruption not willingly, but by reason of him, and that's God, who has subjected the same in hope. So God is working with the world. He's working with these independent beings, the people, by putting not only this opportunity for life eternal before them through the gospel message, the good news of the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, 
but also causing them to see the limitations in the earthly, in this bad, rebellious way of acting and behaving. And hence, we're subject to death, and we're subject to these fleshly tendencies to do the wrong thing. Well, you might say, isn't there an easier way for God to accomplish his purpose? You can think about that and reason it all out. And I mean, he's God. <laughs> he's the potter. We're, we're the clay. Um, I don't think we're going to come up with something better than God has. And we've got to get our mind around it, that actually this is pretty amazing, the way he's designed this all out. The reward, reward can't be better, and the whole environment of allowing us to make choices, to suffer from those, and to, in the bigger picture of things, be subject to aging. This temporary life is the, is the best way to have some people get it and come through this process in a way that will please him. Suffering is necessary. You think if you want to build muscle, you, know, you, can, you can lift weights and do some repetitions, and they say that you can do those, and it doesn't do anything for you until it really hurts. It's that last iteration or two that now will build muscle. You've got to go to the edge. You've got to go to where it hurts to build muscle. The same thing with your brain. If you want to get more intelligent, you want to um, develop and grow, then you got to push your mind. You've got to challenge yourself. You've got to do things that get you to that edge. If you're always just doing things that are mechanical and you're not having to really think and push, then your brain isn't going to grow and develop. And later on when we get older, we've got to do everything we can just to keep it to where it is. And so even in those you know, natural examples, we know there needs to be some pain if there's going to be some gain. And that is similar on the spiritual front. For God to achieve what he wants with us, there's got to be some pain. There's got to be some suffering, some pressure. We've got to get to that edge. And sometimes he brings suffering into plays in our own individual lives to bring about that good. So there's three things that we already identified with children that we're going to just re-identify with ourselves. The one is, first of all, to get into that frame of mind for which we can proceed forward. Number two is the learning. And number three, ultimately, is the character and the maturity. These are the things that are good things. The fifth question, these are the good things that come out of suffering. And there's no easier way. This is the way. And it's quite a wonderful way, despite all the grievous things that we do see in the world. When we keep the end in mind, we recognize that although God is loving and compassionate, not willing that any should perish, he's working with us. And we're individuals and we make choices. And a lot of what's going on is our own fault. But in the bigger picture, God has purpose in this suffering. 
So let's just talk briefly about these three steps. The first step being the frame of mind. Can anybody think of a Bible passage that helps explain that sense of frame of mind, how that in a condition of mind related to sorrow without giving my passage a way that I'm thinking of, um, a way that, you know, in the environment of suffering and sorrow that there is more learning than in other situations. So the example drawn to our attention is the example of Joseph. And I don't know, can you think of any time where Joseph actually is an example on the other side of it? When I think of Joseph, yeah, I mean, he was just seen to be positive and a person of integrity all the way through his his trials. And, and that was a sort of a remarkable situation that in his interactions with his brothers, he was not vengeful of spirit. He was forgiving of spirit. That's a a great character to keep in mind as it relates to suffering and a really good um, attitude throughout all of that um, period. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. So I'm suggesting to you that um, one of the first purposes of suffering is to get our attention. You know, just imagine... If everything was just going fine and everything was wonderful, do you think we'd all be glorifying God and doing his will and serving him? Or would we all be doing what we want to do and getting the most out of this, this life? Um, I think it's pretty clear, <laughs> knowing human nature and seeing the world around us and the wonderful balance that God has brought in place to try to get some people to buy into it and go the right direction, that if there was no consequences for just doing whatever you wanted to do, that that's what people would do. And the message of this verse really is that there's something about a state of mind that relates to sorrow, mourning, obviously it relates to suffering. Um, there's certain considerations that there, there's an opportunity to get something right in your heart and in your mind. And so I think that's the first thing. When, when again, a child does something, you've you, you got to get their attention somehow. Otherwise, <laughs> if there's no consequences, they're just going to keep doing it. You've got to get their attentions. And, and, and that's what God is doing with us in a big way, in the sentence of death, in the in all of the suffering and sorrow that we see around us. And yet, still, a lot of people aren't paying attention. So the next one is learning. I'll do this one as well. I'll leave the, the character one for you to give me an example or two of. Um, the one for learning is, is a, quite a passage in Hebrews 5, verse 8. Um, and the reason I like this one is it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says there, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, you know, I don't think it's too hard to figure out this verse, but when you first read it, you kind of wonder what it, it means. Why do you have to learn obedience by the things that you suffer? Can't we learn obedience some other way? Well, when it talks about learning obedience, I mean, this is obeying again in that situation of pressure and stress and where there's a choice it might be persecution it might be when things are 
you know, not going the way you want them to go. And you're facing opposition. That's when you really learn to obey. Because now you're going to make the right choice and do what God wants, despite all the things that are going against you. That's the teaching of this verse. And again, you know, when people make mistakes, they get all sorts of excuses, just like children will. All sorts of excuses, but the point is, is those aren't good enough. <laughs> it's amongst all those circumstances, you're still supposed to do the right thing. And Jesus himself, who never sinned, learned obedience by the things which he suffered. It's amazing. And all this sets us up for, I think, the real intent got to get into the frame of mind. We got to learn things, but ultimately we got to be something. We got to be the character that God is looking for. Hebrews 12 verse 11. It's not trying to say that that suffering is not painful. It is grievous, but there's a fruit. There's something that comes out of it. It's the fruit of righteousness, but there's an exercise that we have to be involved in. And I think this provides us all with a, a really good perspective on the purpose of, of suffering, that we need to have it before we're in that situation because we don't want to have all these negatives come from it, and they will naturally come from it unless we really buy in to this process and principle. We're in the right frame of mind now. What can we learn? Let's stick with the exercise and hopefully there's something good that comes out of it for our characters. Any other passages that stand out? James 5, verse 11. Uh, this is a good one. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience, that's the endurance of Job, and hath seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So this is a good one because right back up in verse 7, he's already talking to them about being patient, the word hupomone, to be enduring. And he uses this all the way through here. And he's telling us in verse 10 to look to the prophets as examples of this endurance. And ultimately, these people develop in this, in this I would call step two, this this, this um area or this mode of having to endure and to be patient. So that's a great one and ties in with some of our other remarks. Okay, so that passage is 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4 to 8, so you might want to mark that one down as well. And that, you know, takes us into, yeah, the example of Christ and also our interactions and how that we can benefit other people. So that, that leads us down a nice path here of discipleship of you know, once we've, we've suffered um, and we're experiencing that, we're also able to give comfort to others, having experienced some of these afflictions and challenges and sufferings uh, ourselves. Okay, to finish up tonight, I'd like you to turn back to Romans 8. And we'll just spend a couple of minutes there. And it really just brings together some of the things that we've uh, been led to consider in these passages that you've uh, brought our attention to here now. So in Romans chapter 8, I wanted to point out to you again what we've just sort of brought um, ourselves to in considering in verse 17, that we can actually choose to suffer. Like it's not, suffer suffering isn't something we just avoid. 
although we, we try to avoid it in most situations, but there's one situation we actually choose it. And this is, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And there's other Bible passages, I won't go to them, they're even more explicit here, that we choose to suffer with Christ, that we, we, we take some joy in the fact that we are, have a fellowship with his sufferings, that we suffer for Christ's sake. We're, we're suffering because we've chosen to do the right thing. You don't need to suffer. Do the wrong thing, and you can escape it. Well, you see, this is, this is the highest level of suffering, and it's a wonderful thing. People suffer for doing the right thing, because then you have this connection with the apostles and with Christ and with the prophets, because they were suffering all the time for doing the right thing. And this is what we're called to, ultimately. Now look at what he says in verse 18. Just for perspective, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the, comp the glory which shall be revealed in us. That verse is just so powerful on this subject. I mean, it, you just can't compare it. And while they seem overwhelming and they're miserable, they cause sadness and depression. They might make us angry. You know, all of these things. And it's not like they don't touch all of us in some ways, depending on the situation. But we can overcome them with the vision of the kingdom, with the gift of eternal life, with the recognition of this process that God has in our lives to bring us to him. And Paul says, and Paul went through a lot, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And he, as I said, went through a lot. You can consider that in a whole number of Bible passages. And so we've already quoted from verse 20. All of this suffering, all of this process is there, in the, but there's a hope. It's been done that there's a hope that something good will come out of this. And we read about that. Let's pick it up in verse 23. He says, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. This is not easy. No one's saying it's easy. Waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. And a lot of the suffering we feel in our bodies, in our minds, we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are going to be changed once Christ grants eternal life to those who are baptized and do their best in service to God. He says, verse 24, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For that a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Look, if everything was just going all fine and well, then would we really be hoping for something, trusting in God, looking for something? This is what it's all about. These consequences are there to get us into the right frame of mind, to learn, to mature and develop character, to hope for the kingdom to come.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.